This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth with my Tuesday morning Bible study as we begin at Exodus chapter 26. So I'm going to start off with uh, talking about the next several chapters. We're, we're probably not going to spend a whole lot of detail going into all of the detail, but re remember that at the time that Exodus is being written, it's after the fact, right? So Jerusalem is, or at least their, their place, the tabernacle has been established. That's, that's we know. Uh, they know that there's certain things that are inside the tabernacle. And then, and, and so if you're, if you're thinking, I'm writing this after the fact, then I've got to give you all of the details of why we did it the way we did it. Um, it, it just, if you just keep it simplistic that way, it makes it simple. Like the issues that we run into sometimes is that when you, when you tell somebody to build something, you're just giving them the, the dimensions. There's, there's not really a theological construct into those things. Uh, so uh, I, I've, I've, I'm saying it out loud because there are times that I've heard ministers preach that these all had some sort of theological significance. And, and really, this is a blueprint. Uh, I mean, like that's, I, I just want you to be aware of that. Now, now the tabernacle, uh, with that being said, the tabernacle has uh specific theological things that go into it uh but like when you talk about the ark of the covenant being covered in gold and, and things like it's the most valuable resource available i mean like that's just keep it simple uh when we get further on in their history because remember we're going backwards when we get further on into their history there's gonna be meaning for that specifically aaron's breastplate now that has specific meaning um but the, the rest of this stuff it's 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 literally you're, you're reading a woodcraft magazine's <laughs> description of how we build the, the tabernacle so it's a little boring uh I'm, and that's why i'm not going to spend a lot of time going through all of the details probably will read it just for the sake of having it on the recording but uh but other than that there's nothing really crazy but i, I want to bring up the specifics what are we what are we presenting in 26 on well really it's 24 on <clears throat> but what we're doing is, is we're talking about creating a sacred space and what's inside that sacred space that makes it sacred in my sunday school class sunday one of the things that got brought up was this, this idea of the phrase holy bible what makes it holy did, did, did God make it holy, or did we use that word and put it in front of the word Bible and say, here it is, it's holy, it's the holy word of God? And the answer is yes, <laughs> both in, right? In this conversation, they're talking about specific things that go into our worship space. So I thought it would be fun for us to kind of talk about some of the things that are in our sacred space that are important and why. So what do you think? Like, if you think of our sanctuary... What is in our sanctuary that's sacred and why? I think there's stained glass window in the front. Oh, cool. So right off the bat, we've got an artistic representation of what? Jesus, mostly. It's, yeah, it's, it's, and, it's and God, the hand of ah, the good. Hand of God. Hand of God. There's a Trinitarian she, perspective she, at the top. There's a drop of blood. Drops of blood. Yes. Flowers. Flowers. Lilies, I, lilies specifically. And the doves. The doves and the sun and the sun all all and at the very top of the stained glass window is a is, is a triclinium. It's a it's a triangle showing the trinitarian understanding through the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, which we never say that, but that's what that's from. Um, so we, we we've got a stained glass window, and that stained glass window historically was designed to tell the story without having to use words, but just by picture. So yeah, you all got it right off the bat. And it's also put together with a cross. And it's also put in the shape of a cross. Absolutely. We face east to see it. And we face east to see it. It's interesting to point that out. Yeah. And it's over the baptistry. Oh, good. So let's go to that. What's what's the what is a baptistry? Baptized. That's where people get baptized. Why is it special? Because you do get baptized there. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Wash your sins away. Ooh. Jesus was baptized 
oh, oh, so now we're getting deeper. See, it starts off with my sins are forgiven. I, I get baptized and Jesus was baptized. So for the Christian church, disciples of Christ, one might say that the baptistry is saying what? That through Jesus, we must be disciples of Christ, which means that we must be baptized like Jesus. Make sense? Like it's, it's it means immersion. That's right. For us, it was immersion. That's right. For the Christian church, we said immersion. And over time, we've come to that understanding and saying that baptism, even the act of baptism, is important regardless of how they come to it. But immersion was something that's important to us. And for us, it's the ways that Jesus did it. There's a different understanding of what baptism means for us. What else is in the sanctuary that's sacred and holy? Communion table. Communion table. And the things on it. <laughs> well, I mean, you got the cross and the... Sometimes you got the cross on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have the cup and the, and the platter for... I mean... Good. And you have the light. Then you have the light. By the candle. <laughs> The candle represents what? The light Jesus. of Christ. The light of Christ, Jesus, also. We bring it into the sanctuary and we take it out when we leave. That's right. So the Hopefully. spirit of God also represents Numa. This is that fire thing, right? It's a, to me, it's a commission. Oh, yeah. giving us a commission, but we have a job to do. We're bringing the Holy Spirit in. It's the light of Christ at, at the communion table. That's why it's on the communion table, nowhere else. And then we take that light of Christ out into the world, which is why our candle lighters are so important. Communion table. Thank you for saying that. So and I think the words on the communion table in the front. Oh, what are those words, Cindy? Well, you, you would ask. <laughs> in remembrance, in remembrance of, me. of me. And that is exactly what we look at as communion. We do this as a remembrance meal of the Last Supper. So therefore, it's not an altar for us. It's a remembrance of that Last Supper. So that's why that, those words are on there. What else? To me, the ceiling. The ceiling. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Why is that sacred to you? Well, I, I don't know that it's really sacred, but it's a it's a reminder to me because when I look at it, it reminds me of what a boat looks like. We are <laughs> looking down into a boat. Oh, I love that idea. And Jesus was a fisherman sure. of men, and we're all in this boat together. <laughs> It's yeah. a church. That's upside a good thought. down. Upside <laughs> down, but <laughs> we're trying to swim our way through this. Like <laughs> see, I see the rafters up there as a cross because they. Oh, interesting. Because they do cross. I mean, too. They don't just stop. They. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. Sunday, as being a newcomer to this church. I sat there and I, I thought the sanctuary really looks nice, and I told, told him that. But I noticed the the wood going up to the ceiling, and I thought, you know what, that is it's really pretty. <laughs> Very much so. How about you guys on the Not internet? It has anything to do with anything? <clears throat> They did in the 18th century or whenever, 16th century or whenever they were building the three cathedrals because they did that. I think that's so pretty. I think it's pretty. <laughs> I do too. It's, it was one of my, uh, it was the thing that stuck out the most to me when I came for my interview. Like I was a little nervous because I felt it was, it was a little small in my mind, like in my head, it was, it was small, but the first thing I looked at was the ceiling and I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, and of course my brain goes in because being a liturgical study person, I'm, I'm going into the theology of the architecture of a building and which by the way, did not happen until uh, after the crusades. So they didn't start thinking no. how to build churches theologically until after the crusades. But, but that was 1100. So, right, that's a long time so, so for me, I'm looking at it. I'm like, Oh wow, look at this. You could do this. This is what this means. And it's brilliant, brilliant architecture. 
Of course, it made more my, sense my when it was all blonde, but hey. Yeah, right. <laughs> my brain goes very uh, 1950-ish. Uh-huh. Disciples of Christ. Yeah. Because you can find them, several of them in Oklahoma. Yeah, oh yeah. That follow the same footprint, not exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Did you guys have a blood red carpet in there at some point? Yes. Yeah, that was I another think. big 1950s red carpet for some reason because it was um, plush and it was. The sign Lutheran still has the blood red carpet. <laughs> well, as we were talking about the communion table, I was wondering if that is a gift from whoever to a Christian church when it's established, because this is the third Christian church I've been in, and all of them on the communion table <laughs> have in remembrance of me, and they all look the same. Way. <laughs> look like that. Now that's definitely a, a disciples of Christ thing. That's, I mean, that is a uh, we that they, they put that on the communion table specifically to make sure that when people saw it, they knew it was something different. Now what, what happened? was this we, we lost the educational process of that. So most people coming into the church don't ever get to ask that question because preachers stopped talking about that, I don't know, 40 years ago. <laughs> and it was weird too, because to the, it, no, so it, it's a, it's a, it is a distinct Christian church disciples of Christ thing. You will also <laughs> see them at a Presbyterian <clears throat> church uh, if they have a communion table in the room. If, if they do, it'll have in remembrance of me as well. Um, For those that, that were here before me, you can help me out. But isn't our previous communion table somewhere within the church? I have no idea. Cut down to a... Uh, oh, yeah. Podium. Well, no, it's a little table. It's a little table. It's the one that's... It's not the little. <laughs> it's heavy. Oh, I put it in the... Oh, yes. It's the in oval, the becomers room. The big oval. Yeah. yeah. It's in yeah. The, I, I thought somebody told me that was the communion table at one time. Yeah, it was in my office. Yeah, it was. That's what I interpreted as the communion table at the church at Fur um, Eight. 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 Mm -hmm. So that's in the first fur. It's on the, it was off the alley. Oh, that's true. There was no alley then at the time, but yeah. it was up there in the middle of the block. That's where I was baptized. <laughs> it's right there. Anyway, so the only reason I mentioned that is, is even this church, you change progress whatever yes. word you want yeah. to use you know because you locked into it because you've seen it in other churches mm -hmm. you know and i lock into it because it's the only one i've ever known <laughs> but you know there was and it's the other one it's real pretty wood but but, i mean no, i mean like i said it's in the coverage room it was just in my office and it just was so massive it was like it's taking up the whole room didn't get anything in. and i know there's a specific word for the cloths paramount yeah <laughs> and i just wonder how many people in the congregation know what the different colors stand for you know i know pentecost sunday and i know you know the advent but you know some of the other colors green green is for all the time when it's when it's not when it's not something not else. something yeah we call it ordinary color. Color. No, they're purple right now. But we can. That's for Advent. But in Advent, we've switched. Yeah, maybe okay. blue and purple, we've switched back and forth. Because I was surprised, Sandy, but maybe blue. Purple wasn't a surprise to me. <laughs> those to me, though, aren't, those are more educational yeah. than, I'm going to say religious. religious. Yeah. I mean, right. because. If I was wiser as y'all are, I would know that the different colors are telling me what season, what, season, what we should be thinking right. about. Right. As as the Advent candle, you know how new or old. Uh, That's a Martin Luther thing. Okay, so relatively new. Sixteen <laughs> as, as far as Christianity <laughs> goes, but uh, well, I guess not new even for them because that's only eight hundred years. <laughs> or 1600 years well i mean we know we know that we've had advent wreaths candles that we use during the seasons for uh you know i don't remember exactly when it started but i think the earliest they don't quote me on this i think the earliest representation we have of seeing images of sanctuaries that somebody drew 
of an Advent season was around the 1300s. Mm -hmm. So, but like, we don't know if they actually did it, but Martin Luther made a big deal out of wreaths and evergreens and things of that nature. So you can see a real big difference between what we do and what Catholics do during Advent, even though Martin was just taking what they were already currently doing and then changed it. That was, that was a big the, the liturgical thing that he did. Um, because he was a priest. I mean, he doesn't. He just he was a Catholic. And he was Catholic. <laughs> Again, these are all building related. That's all. That's exactly my point. That's why we're having this discussion. Because this is look at how in depth this gets quickly, right? Like we start noticing even just the little things, like the candles, the difference in the colors of the candles. They're all designed to educate the people sitting in the pews or in the tent, right? As it were. The tabernacle was designed. So everything that you see inside the tabernacle was designed to educate the people that are inside or those that are from on the outside looking in. That, that's where it gets different. So I, I, I want you to think about that as we, we talked about this this morning is in our sacred space, we have all of these things that either have been lost from our discussion uh, or uh, we, we claim them as important. Like there's, there's a lot of interesting things that are in our sanctuary that were designed architecturally that we're not really gonna put a whole lot of emphasis on, you know, but they were designed specifically to educate the people that couldn't read. Like that's, that's the whole purpose. When did Chris, Chris ones come along? Now that's a fascinating story. So <laughs> Chris ones, yeah, Christmas. so. They're, they're, I mean, okay, it, it just depends on who you talk to, right? There's all kinds of material that says that even the first and second century Christians were doing that. Well, they didn't practice Christmas. So that's, a, <laughs> it's a real big problem for me when anybody says, well, in the first century, Jesus and people put an ornament on a cactus or something. And I'm like, no, that's not true at all. So if you hear them saying that in some curriculum, that's not even knowledge. close to being real. So, I mean, uh, so Christmas come from very early on in liturgical practices. I mean, maybe maybe some of the earliest practices that we have. And the, the objective was is to find ways of representing Christ um, that they could do with images. That They didn't have stained glass windows, right? So telling a story. Telling a story. <laughs> that's the whole point. And so Christmas weren't necessarily always used just for uh, Christmas season. Again, Christmas season comes much later. Like we don't have liturgical or lectionary years until much later. Um, so by the time that we get to that point, Christmas were something that they used and incorporated into a sense of Advent. This is what you should take these Christmas and bring in for preparing yourself for the coming of our Lord and Savior. Um, so yeah, Christmas is a huge deal, very controversial in liturgical studies. Most people would say, well, Josh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Well, I, I take these things really serious in the, in the sense of I'm not going to tell people that the communion table is not an altar without, my, without data, right? Like that my grandparents would say that the communion table at the front was an altar. The language that they would use is that Jesus was a human sacrifice. His body broken, his blood poured. I try very hard not to use that specific language because he didn't have to be a human sacrifice. His giving of himself is different than saying, here, let's put him on a table and cut him like a lamb, right? That's a massive theological difference. And then you'll hear people switch it and they'll say, well, because of Jesus's death, that's why they didn't need a temple anymore. No, no, that's <laughs> not it at all. The temple it was a place of worship. The, the, it didn't matter if Jesus died on the altar or if he died in real life. He, the, the point was is he was willing to die on behalf of all of humankind. So that's why I make a big deal. So the Christmas, these images started popping up of, oh, this is the cross, you know, and then there's all of these others. And the fascinating thing for me is, and I'm getting goosebumps, this is it crosses every aspect of Christianity from the fifth century on. So you've got Greek Orthodox. We've talked about them before. You know, you've got Greek Orthodox that have Christmas. You've got Russian Orthodox that have different kinds of uh, Christmas. You've got ones that are in China 
uh, in that, that area there that they use Chris Mons or images of Christ throughout their entire history. So for me, that's a big deal. If everyone is saying this, then it's something that matters. I wonder if they did it when they decided to have make Christmas at December, and I don't know who did that or when, but they took the tree, which other people were doing and decorating and wanted to make something. The pagans did they decorate their trees? Sure. I know they had them. Yeah. I mean, yes. That's yes. why we have them. That's, that's exactly right. So it, it's a, it's a, it's an appropriation of another culture, but the Chrismons, I would argue, are some of the very earliest images that were not pagan related. Yeah. Does that make sense? So most of the stuff that we do. We appropriated from another culture. Chrismons, however, I would say are not. Now, my I have professors that will argue tooth and nail with me on this and say, no, though, that's a pagan symbol and this is a pagan symbol. And I would say, okay, yep, but it, it can't be blanketed, right? You can't just say this is it and this is not it. I'm saying the intent is different than those. So that that brings us to the tabernacle. All right. <laughs> you, see how, six. you see how fast that goes? Nice segue. The, the tabernacle becomes an image for the people of Israel in such a way that designs uh, a place of sanctity that people can see. And so I'm going to show you. Uh, Refresh my memory on the tabernacle or the common people just allowed in the outer courts, or could they go into that first part in the tent? Well, they couldn't all go in there because there were thousands of them. Yeah, it's but not that big. Yeah. But could they, you know, walk in and out? Anything about the Holy of Holies? Yes. Or did they have to stay in the outer? Place? So they, in the chapter 26, it just tells you how to build it. They don't get to the point of who gets to go in there until... Uh, 29... And then he goes into the aspect of who gets to go in. Okay. I didn't realize they had a fence. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's an outer court, which we end up seeing later on historically of the tabernacle. Um, notice there always had to be a pillar of smoke, right? There, so there was always a fire burning. I always thought this was interesting because it depends on who you talk to on how the pillar of smoke would work. Logistically, this is hard for me because it would have been dry and arid in some aspects. <laughs> and at some point, that thing's going to burn down. But, you know, <laughs> uh, it's just going to happen. Yeah. So uh, all of the stuff that we read prior to this are inside that the temple here. Oh, that's not the mouse. Inside the temple here. The Holy of Holies would have been here on this, <clears throat> on this corner, on this back end. And this, this temple shroud right here in the front which you can't see because it's got all this other stuff here this shroud eventually ends up going when the tabernacle ends up just going away and the temple is built that's the shroud that goes in front of the holy of holies so they tried to keep it as long as possible so when when you read the story about jesus's death and the temple shroud tears from the top down that was the the tabernacle shroud that's that's the way that was that curtain it was that curtain so uh, so i'm gonna read it and, and just so you can see the image of this and it says so as for the tapple make it out of 10 strips of cloth uh make these a fine twisted linen of blue purple and crimson yarn with a design of cherubim worked into them They're just brilliant working but you can see this being like a quilt conversation <laughs> the length of each cloth shall be 28 cubits and the width of each cloth shall be four cubits all the cloths to have the same measurements five of the cloths shall be joined to one another and the other five cloths shall be joined to one another make loops of blue wool on the edge of the outermost cloth of the one set and wool on the edge of the outermost cloth of the one set and do likewise on the edge of the outermost cloth of the other set make 50 loops on the blah, 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 blah. You, I'm in verse seven. You shall make uh, cloths of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Make the cloths 11 in number. The length of each cloth shall be 30 cubits and the width of each, yada, 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 yada. Uh, make 50 cloths. As for overlapping excesses, verse 12 of the cloth of the tent, the extra half cloth shall overlap the back of the tabernacle. So you can see 
where that looks, this is what they're talking about, overlapping in the back side. So you know, out in the front, you'll have uh, bottom two sides. And make for a tent a covering and a, of tanned ram skins and a covering of dolphin skins above. You shall make the planks uh, for the tabernacle of acacia wood upright. The length of each plank shall be 10 cubits and the width of each plank a cubit and a half. Each plank shall have two tenons parallel to each other. So, I mean, you're building a tent. Um, I mean, it's pretty impressive. I, the, the interesting thing historically is, is the talking of the, uh, the silver sockets, verse 21. You have 40 silver sockets, two sockets under one plank and two sockets under each following plank. And for the rear of the tabernacle to make, west, make six planks and make two planks for the corners of the tabernacle at the rear. They shall match at the bottom. And then I'm going to go down to verse 28. The center bar halfway up the plank shall run from one end to the other, which would have been really hard to find a piece of wood that did that long. But they, they did it. Uh, we, we know that they found it. And overlay the planks with gold and make their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. Then set up the tabernacle according to the manner of that you were shown on the mountain. You shall make a curtain of blue, purple, and crimson yarns and a fine twisted linen. It shall have a design of cherubim worked into it. Hang it upon the four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and having hooks of gold set in four sockets of silver. Hang the certain curtain under the clasp and carry the Ark of the Covenant or Pact here behind the curtain so that the curtain shall serve you as a partition between the holy and the holy of holies. Place the, car, the cover upon the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Place the table outside the curtain and the lampstand by the south wall, the other tabernacle opposite the table, which is to be placed by the north wall. You shall make a screen for the tent, entrance of the tent. See it right there? That's the screen. That's where those shrouds come from. Uh, and yeah, uh, blue, purple, and crimson yarn and fine tw twisted linen done in embroidery make five posts of acacia wood for the screen and overlay them with gold one two three four five good that's right there they're hooks uh <laughs> and you shall make the altar and then and then it goes into the altar which is wait, i have a question real quick so what is a cherubim a, an angel that looks it's look think of uh cupid okay yeah so prior to this we didn't there wasn't a lot to talk about angels yeah there's not they don't <laughs> so, give you a description so this is one of those parts that we really have to remember that um exodus was written after the fact and so by, by when they were writing this they already knew about angels yeah you, you all yes and you and you want to also remember that i would also add to the fact that they're making the assumption that you've heard the story of the cherubim the seraphim archangels uh, they, they they what melech what messengers are and what kind of messengers there are uh there's a lot of assumptions made about angels in the hebrew bible which is what makes it complicated when we get to the new testament because they're hebrew writers right like they have a jewish understanding um as a writing in greek that we don't know right like you, you all would talk about that's a good Ogi thing that nobody else would understand. Well, I mean, how about our language? Our language. Well, a lot of people try to imitate it, but, and, and then you get famous people that exaggerate it. But I, I would say that uh, most people in Oklahoma know that when you fry catfish, you should coat it in mustard and use cornstarch before you do anything else. If you grew up in wow, southeastern Oklahoma, yes, ma'am. Uh -oh. I do in southwestern Oklahoma. So, uh, yeah, if you go to if you go to Lake Tufala, they soak all of their fish in, in mustard before they fry it. Why? Well, because it takes out the fishiness of it. And, oh, that's like yeah, yellow. No. Yeah, mustard. Yep. That's or wow. some of them put it in buttermilk, but I, I mean, it's just nasty. It just turns into extra slime at that point. But that's how we do it. <laughs> We'll talk recipe later. Yeah, so, <laughs> so like that's a that's a thing. So it was fascinating to me when I when I left McAllister and I went to Weatherford and everybody went and got catfish and these guys are putting their fish in like buttermilk or some other blasphemous thing at the time. And I'm looking at them going, what are you guys doing? And they said, Well, this is this is how we fry catfish. 
no, that's not how you fried catfish. You know, like, and then and then we had this beautiful conversation. Not really. They were wrong. I was right. You know, but in, in all in all seriousness, th that's a perfect example, right? So there's like these assumptions made that everybody does it the same way. Um, so you all should know about what cherubim look like. You all should know that seraphim are these big balls of fire with six wings and they really don't have a human form. You know, they're just balls of fire and then two that cover their face, two that cover their genitals and two that fly, you know. Um, and then cherubim, this is just, we have to talk about it. Cherubim become protectors or warriors of God. So what's the difference between a cherubim and a cherub? A lot. So <laughs> the cherub becomes a, a mockery of the, the Hebrew understanding of cherubim. Hmm. Cherub becomes, I mean, it's even, they just take the name off. You know, it's a, the, the, the cherubim were always soldiers and fighters of God. And yes, they would have had bows and arrows and swords and shields and stuff like that. And, and they would have had wings and they would have looked, and, 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 and please understand, I'm talking angelic mysticism right so there's this <laughs> idea that they would look more human than anything else some would argue that the angels that approached sodom and gomorrah most likely were either cherubim or archangels because the only two that look like humans are cherubim and archangels gabriel approaches right we even know his name he's not mentioned we just we know his name gabriel gabriel approaches mary at the time of jesus birth right so did they actually have a halo? No. <laughs> or was that just something that we... Yeah, we added it to that. And we did it artistically. Specifically, when you start seeing the Byzantines putting a crown, a, a, a crown behind Jesus's head made of light. Yeah. And make, giving him the impression of being a crown like a king of God. Mm -hmm. So these halos all go throughout Roman and Greek history as being an image of God, right? So uh, it's fascinating because when you start looking at this, cherubim to the Hebrew culture are hardcore. That's why they're on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Their wings are protecting the, the, the covenant that God made with the people. Um, cherubim were placed on the outside of the Garden of Eden with flaming swords. Right? These, these are not necessarily biblical truths. It's, this is something that they've learned. This is something that they've understood. Um, so it's, it's fascinating to me that we have this conversation about cherubim and notice that they're weave, they're woven, sorry, woven into the tabernacle cloth, being protected by God's, for lack of a better phrase, army. Uh, so yeah, it's a big deal. I'm glad you guys have that. I, I tend to move and just keep going because again, I assume that we've had this conversation before. Well, while you were reading that, my brain kept going, well, why this, why that? And all the all those people would have known why that's right. Why rams, you know, why the goat hair. That seems like a lot of work for goat hair. It's a lot of goat hair. That's a, I mean, that's a lot of work for goat hair. I mean, that's but they didn't mention the outside fence or not yet, though. They, yeah, no, it's, we haven't got to it yet. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I don't. I don't think the fence is in the in the conversation. So afterwards. Yeah, I think it comes later. I I don't remember it being in the original description. Um. At some point. At some point, they start creating the outer courts, you know, the court for the Gentiles, the court for the women, the court for the men. Um, but the tabernacle and its very basic understanding, my favorite part about this is it's basic. For them, right here at the beginning, you have an altar that you, you're bringing your offering into the entrance of the tabernacle. Then it is slaughtered over here on the table and then thrown onto the brazen altar uh, upon God. Then those pieces of meat and things of that nature are then brought to the brazen laver or whatever they call it. What's that? Uh, it's just an ash collector, really. It looks <laughs> cool. Uh, it has a lot of names. 
but but it's really just something that the burnt offerings go on to and then they take that into the holy of holies and somehow it disappears <laughs> right Goes up in that pillar of smoke. It goes, yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> I mean, more. Yeah, like I'm totally not joking. Char. <laughs> Char goes into the Holy of Holies and then it goes up to God in the pillar of smoke. Mm -hmm. Right? So then their sins are forgiven only once a year, but notice that's not even been described yet. Yeah, we're not there. It's just, it's just telling us. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to building. the courtyard now. So uh, you shall, at verse 36, it says, You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of a blue and purple yarn and crimson yarn done in a glory. Make five posts, being a gold and yada, yada, yada. You shall make the altar of the acacia wood five cubits long, five cubits wide. The altar is to be square, three cubits high. Make its horns on the four corners, the horns to be one of one piece, uh, sorry, to be of one piece with it and overlay it with copper because you cook on that stuff, right? Make the pails for removing its ashes as well as its scrapers, basins, flesh hooks, and fire pans, and make all its utensils of copper. Make for it a grating of meshwork in copper, and on the mesh make four copper rings at its four corners, and set the mesh below under the rings at its four corners. Set the mesh below under the ledge of the altar so that it extends to the middle of the altar. Make poles for that altar. The poles shall be inserted into the ring so the poles remain on two sides. They'll make it hollow of, of boards as were shown on the mountain so that they will be made. I, okay. keep, I keep looking for the word copper and mine says bronze. Interesting. Yeah, mine does too. <coughs> well, that would be... Bronze is copper and something else, I think. Yeah, iron. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was aluminum. It does. It might be aluminum, it's, but... It's, Tougher. Yeah, it's a it's a tougher thing, and it would be a Greek understanding, right? Because Greeks only used bronze; they wouldn't use copper for anything fancy. I'm, I'm fascinated why they translated this, and the Jewish Public Translation Society why they translated it as copper. It would be a timing thing too. I mean, yeah. copper was before bronze, and they figured out how to make it tougher, and then everything. I'm chasing weapons here, but. That's the way they did the weapons. And, you know, and, and by the time the Greeks start doing it, Celtics have taught them how to do bronze. So, I mean, at this point, I think that might be just a translation thing. And maybe the Jewish Translation Society did copper that way just because of the timing. That would make sense to me. Either way, bronze and copper, you're going to cook on. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it makes... Well, it wasn't... It wasn't uh, David's son... <laughs> didn't have bronze mines, they had copper mines. Right. Though, yeah. though, I mean, you got to get the copper well, press, but Bronze is an alloy, so yeah. yes. I don't know if they knew how to make alloys by then. Mm -hmm. One of yeah. David's sons. So it's an interesting translation issue. So, uh, and then now we get to the side of the, in the enclosure of the tabernacle. On the south side, 100 cubits of hangings of fine twisted linen, for the link of the enclosure on that side with its 20 posts. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. 18, 19, 20. Yes. Mm -hmm. I would hope they get that right. I mean, this is a very uh, important software, so they better have gotten it right. I'd be really <laughs> mad. Uh, and then uh, 20, yeah, yeah sockets of copper and the hooks of band and then there's all that stuff i mean I, you all can see the image of what it says but that's basically all of copper all of this and then you get to verse 20 you shall further instruct the israelites to bring you clear oil of beaten olives for lighting for kindling lamps regularly aaron and his son shall set them up in the tent of meeting outside the curtain which is over the uh, ark of the covenant or act uh, pact to burn from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a due from the Israelites for all time and throughout the ages. I, I noticed that they're calling out north walls, east walls, so they're even talk, telling you the orientation. That's right. Of, of the just, yeah, just tabernacle or the temple. So now we get to the other one. So we also go back and say, as shown on the mountain. 
Right, so, Moses has had this, he's had this conversation, and none of them have seen it. So whatever Moses and Aaron do when they cut, when Moses comes down, they're going to just do whatever he says because that's how they're going to do it. I'm just that's the authority to do. It. I mean, that's the reason they're doing it this way. That's right. Okay, um, I want to. So now we've talked about the place of worship. Now you've got to make sure that the person in leading the worship. Uh, is different than others. Okay, and I'm a I'm a little bit of a I'm an extreme theological pessimist at this point. <laughs> um, every culture that's surrounding Israel at the time, the high priests wore different clothes. Just anthropologically, I have a massive <laughs> problem with this. So every single one of them had a certain fancy clothing. I mean, we know it. So it's interesting to me that the Hebrew culture creates vestment for their high priest, which to me, I think is uh, a sociological construct to not imitate, but to uh, make themselves different than the other cultures around them. So this, this image of what he would have been wearing is is a there's a lot of gold there's a lot of precious uh uh emeralds i mean precious stones uh the the clothing would have been extremely um uh, just beautiful and all of a sudden right so now now we're we're in the we're still in the wilderness folks yeah and they're in a tent but the high <laughs> priest is going to have this Who's going to see him? All of the people of Israel. So he comes outside. Yeah, he, he only puts this on when it's time to perform the rituals. Imagine but they're they're done inside. That's that's, I'm, that's I, know. I mean that's where I'm struggling. I know it's and it's a it's a weird conversation. Um, so let's let's read that because I want to definitely finish this. It's it's not it's not too hard, but go ahead. What's I, the very what's in red up there? Who is that? The Kohen Gadol Shemot. So this is the high priest of the Shemot. So the so it's actually I mean so they got a picture of him somewhere, right? I mean, I mean this is what they imagine what it's going to look like. That's, so I got this somebody. From, yeah, I got this from a I don't want to say it's Chabad.org, but it's one of the Jewish history sites that says this is what we imagine what it would have looked like. So. Uh, so you shall bring forth your brother Aaron with his sons from among the Israelites to serve me as priests. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, Ethamar, and the sons of Aaron make sacral vestments for your brother Aaron for dignity and adornment. Next you shall instruct all who are skillful, whom I have endowed with a gift of skill, what is your say? Skilled workers to whom I have, to whom I have given wisdom in such matters. Okay. Uh... To make Aaron's investments for consecrating him to serve me as priest. Um, these are the vestments that they are to make: a breastpiece, uh, an ephod, uh, a, a robe, and fringed tunic, a headdress, and a sash. They shall make those sackle vestments for your brother Aaron and his sons for priestly service to me. They therefore. Uh, shall receive the gold, the blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and the fine linen. They shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and the fine twisted linen. Worked into the designs, it shall have two shoulder peaches attached, uh, really, to kind of hold it together. <laughs> and I lost my place. Eight. Okay, thank you. And the decorated band that is upon it shall make, like, a one piece with it that is upon uh of gold, a blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and a fine twisted linen. They too then take two lazuli stones, what does your say? Onyx. Onyx. And engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining on six on the other stone. In the order of their birth. See, now we're getting specific. On the two stones, you shall make seal engraving, engravings the work of a lapidary, is that what yours says? Gem cutter. Gem cutter, interesting. 
of the names of the sons of Israel, and having bordered them with frames of gold, attached the two stones to the shoulder pieces of the ephah, is stones as for remembrance of the Israelite people whose names Aaron shall carry upon his two shoulder pieces for remembrance before the Lord. I love that part. <laughs> then make frames of gold and two chains of pure gold, braid these like corded work, and fasten the corded chains to the frames. You shall make a breast piece of decision uh, or which should be like like a judgment or uh, but but worked into a design and make it in the style of the ephod make it of gold of blue purple and crimson yarns and of fine linen if it if it it shall be square and double a span in length and a span in width it's set in the mountain stones and four rows of stones the first row shall be this is gonna be interesting carnelian chrysolite and emerald what does your say Barrel for the third one, the other so two the same. Mine says same thing reversed. Okay. The second row, turquoise, sapphire, and amethyst. Lapis lazuli for sapphire. Mine says moonstone. Sapphire and a moonstone. By moonstone. Interesting. Hmm. The third row, a jockey, an agate, and a crystal. Amethyst for crystal. Amethyst. And then uh, the Fourth row, a barrel, a lapis lazuli, and a jasper. <laughs> Topaz, onyx, and jasper. Interesting. And your picture doesn't follow. Our... No, no. <laughs> it has some. No, I mean, I, I just wanted you all to see how weird the translation problems are. It, it's uh, even in Hebrew, like it, it's, it's hard to even put it together. Like, why did it matter what row that they were in? It just really <laughs> needed to be these stones for some reason. And they're going to tell you right now. The stones shall correspond to the names of the sons of Israel, 12 corresponding to their names. They shall be engraved like seals, uh, each with its name uh, for the 12 tribes. On the breastpiece, make braided chains of corded work and pure gold. Make two rings of gold on the breastpiece. And then you go through that, two rings, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, you get, okay, verse 29. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel on the purest piece of decision over his heart. And when he enters the sanctuary for remembrance before the Lord at all times, inside the breast piece of decision, you shall place the Urim and the Tumen, or the meaning that we don't really know what this means because it's kind of lost over time, but this is a religious practice that we don't know. Uh, over his heart, so that when he comes before the Lord, thus Aaron shall carry the instrument of decision for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord at all times. I can't figure where a breastplate is in accord with the ephod because it looks to me like they're both over his <coughs> chest. Yep. Yep. Almost kind of looks like one overlaps. It's kind of on top of the, other. of the other. Yeah, so the breastplate is on top of the ephod. So that what I was understood. Well, is the ephod? The ephod had twelve, like a bib. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of a bib. Yeah, I mean, like, I see, like according to this, one. it's yeah. like a. Yeah. This is saying that the ephod is like a, 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 a bib, uh, but no um, apron. 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 Yeah, but the it, the apron goes from top to down yeah. here. See, like this is what it's saying here. This is this whole thing is the ephod. Yeah. Okay. And then the breastplate sits on top of it. And Weird. so, what this this last one that we read, the names and everything, that is that on the ephod or is that on the breastplate? Yes, about the, yeah, both on both, both, both yeah. of them. Okay. And underneath the stones on his shoulders. <laughs> right. So six on one, six on six the other. Six on one and six on the other. Then he's got all six, all twelve here in the middle, and then the, in, throughout the ephod, they're woven inside the, the the apron. Now, notice that even in our translations, it it. it it varies on how that's supposed to look. Yeah, this, the, the most important part of this is when it starts at verse 35. Aaron shall wear it while, you see, so now we've got to the point officiating so that the sound of it is heard when he comes into the sanctuary before the Lord and he goes out that he may, oh, that's the bell. Sorry, yeah, here it is on verse uh, 33. On, a, on its hand, make pomegranates of blue, purple, and crimson yarns all around the hand with bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell, a pomegranate, and a all around the hem of the robe. Aaron shall wear it while officiating so that the sound of it is heard when he goes into the sanctuary before the Lord and when he goes out so that, that he may not die. 
and that we can hear it when he falls and know there's no more ringing, right? We shall make a frontlet of pure gold and engrave on the seal and inscription, holy to the Lord, suspended on the court of blue, so that it remain on the headdress. It shall remain on the front of the headdress. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. That Aaron may take away any sin arising from the holy things that the Israelites consecrate from any of the sacred donations. It shall be on his forehead at all times to win acceptance for them before the Lord. You shall make the fringe tunic of fine linen. You shall make the headdress of fine linen. You shall make the sash of embroidered work. And for Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics and make sashes for them and make turbans for them for dignity and adornment. Put these on your brother Aaron and on his sons as well. Anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them to serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. They shall extend from their hips to their thighs. They shall be worn by Aaron and his sons when they enter the tent of meeting or when they approach the altar to officiate in the sanctuary so that they do not incur punishment and die. It shall be a law for all time for him and for who is offspring to come. Our question. Uh-huh. Yes, Who's making the these decisions? <laughs> Who's telling them? Supposedly God is telling. God is telling the high priest. This, well, he's telling Moses he's telling that he's telling. Okay. But this is the way it's supposed to be. Supposed to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Linen bothers me because they're not growing cotton on the no. or flax rather on the in the desert. So when they got these done and when they learned to make flax into linen. Mm -hmm. It's another question altogether, and I have no idea when that happened, but it didn't happen in the desert, I guarantee you. Nope. So the translate translators are obviously in a place that says, oh, we have this. So what <laughs> in Babylon they had it. In Babylon, they're they writing into that. There's a there's an assumption they have bronze in Babylon too. Probably, that's right. So. Exactly. So now you've got this whole this whole thing that says even just the logistics of it don't <laughs> really make a lot of sense. And this is what I told you all about in my sermon a couple of weeks ago about the, the, the bells around the, the thing. Well, the funny thing is, is that when they walked in there, it was so quiet that they didn't necessarily hear the bells all the time. So the bells got bigger throughout <laughs> history. And then there was a rope tied to his right ankle. Oh, so they could pull him out so without they could going pull him in. Because they couldn't go to the Holy of Holies without <laughs> dying. And that, but that's, that comes later in the conversation. So that's that's the that's that's the tabernacle and the priestly vestments to describe everything that we started our discussion with this morning. So okay. when Aaron first goes in to the tabernacle, mm -hmm. he's in the the one that had the in that other picture the one that had the yes. So he had to wear this when he was just in the temple. Yes. Okay. And um, the bridges that they were talking about is what they wear as they go inside. Okay. So they're just in swim trunks? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So is the temple in here it called the tent of meetings? Is that the temple? I don't or think so, no. because when they get to the meeting, it said it was outside the... It's outside the entrance curtain. In but the they, don't, they don't really go into really good detail about where that's supposed to be. That's why when you look at this picture, the tent of meeting's not in it. Okay. And then it said they're to officiate in the sanctuary. So that would be inside the temple, right? Right. Okay. Right. And just those guys went in there. That's mean, right. The common people or the priests didn't get to go with it. That's right. I mean, just okay. So, this may be a strange question, but how do they build this? I mean, they take it down, they move it, mm -hmm. they get wherever they're going, they put it back up. Mm -hmm. Well, at some point in time, when does it become where you can't walk in there unless you're Aaron or his sons? At this point. So, they're the ones putting it back up. I, I guess um, what I'm saying is, you know, it's when it's down, people. it's a bunch of different cloth. It's a got, it's a bunch, it's it's a sign to a certain group when we get to that. It tells who has to carry it. That's right. But at some point in time, only certain people can go in. 
So if they're putting it together at certain or at some point in time, they should, be, they should be the only ones that can put it to right. If you if you go if you stopped here, that would be the that would be the way it would be. But, but it's not. He he hasn't come off the mountain yet. <laughs> so he this this is still so early into that discussion. He's he's still going. Uh, okay, so once you build the tabernacle, this is what it's going to look like. And then once the Aaron works his vestments and his sons wear their stuff. And then when he comes off the mountain, then they start assigning specific tasks for everybody. So, uh, so just out of curiosity, if Aaron is the priest, the high priest, and his sons are priests, that makes him a tribe from the tribe of Levi. Levi, which then makes Moses a Levi. A Levite. Just it's an interesting conversation. Do we have any of that proof? Uh, no, but it's <laughs> it's just the way it's supposed to be, right? So you know it's. It's a, it's a, I, I, I'm doing this on purpose because this is, this might be, oh, I'm not going to make that a blanket statement. I would say this is <laughs> one of the earliest documented sources that we have for how people are supposed to worship and where and what they're supposed to have on, uh, like job descriptions of how worship is supposed to go. Uh, this is probably one of the earliest texts that we have throughout antiquity of, of what it's supposed to look like. Um, do they get to the people? Do they get to the people? Eventually. The walls really bother me. It's pulling out the Protestant in me. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, I hope <laughs> no, it does. No one gets in. Yeah, this no, is driving is, me nuts. They got a, yeah, there's, a wall there's, around this place. Yeah, and, and no well, one that, knows, guy, that guy was in bringing his cow or steer or whatever it was. Yeah, he gets to come in that main courtyard. Yeah. And But inside the temple... They still got a gate there, so that means they're controlling who even gets that far. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have something in your hands you can't have. That would be an interesting topic for a first stewardship sermon. You can't come in unless you have something in your hands to give. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Well, that, that would that, be interesting. You know, it's funny you say that, Sally, because the, the, the <laughs> culture ends up doing that. Uh, about the time that penance has become, I think that's around the 15th, 14th century, no, 15th century, 1400s, you start seeing penance and that in order for you to be able to go to heaven or out of purgatory, you have to pay for that type of thing. And that's when the church starts struggling with how that works. But Martin Luther doesn't argue with that too much. He just, he has a problem with you having to do that, but you should be bringing something to the Lord all the time, which is a cool Joyfully. story. Joyfully. And, yeah, and, that's and right. the Hebrew Bible even goes to a step further in the sense that goes, uh, that they even come up with the of what you're supposed to bring. Giving is such a the whole Bible. I mean, it, it talks more about giving uh, than any other topic than in the, in, the, in, the, in our entire faith. Um, but it's it's a fascinating conversation. I read, and this could be not true, but Urban the Second, right? Who it was Urban the Second? I'm not sure. Crusader guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. 1092. I think so. November, Sounds good. November 27th. <laughs> that's not it. Sounds reason. like he's making that up as not, he goes not, all That's the reason it popped up and I even read it because November 27th just passed. So it pops up that he argued against penance. Oh, yeah. That's what start. That's what kind of led into the, the crusade. And then they went nuts. Yeah. But it's going to. They lost too. Well, mass hysteria. <laughs> they was going to go get all the money that they too. needed for the penance. But oh, <laughs> that's why I said they were going to save Jerusalem, but they didn't do that either. No, it's awful. It, you know, it's it's fascinating to me that it's all started like with this conversation of how do we? Why is this? Why do we need a tabernacle? I think that would be if, if we were going to continue this discussion. Why now? Why why in the the, the scope of things as the Israelites are leaving Egypt. Why is it so important to them that they have a place of worship when they don't even know what they're doing yet? <laughs> right? Like there's no rules as to how they're supposed to worship. It's got to be important that, that they do worship and thank God and bring offerings. Yeah, right. Right. They're establishing it's the only purpose of the, the whole Jewish thing. religion. There it is. I mean, before the then, institution. Before then, it was a person. Exactly. It was Abraham's God. Yeah, our God. It was Abraham's God. Yes, there you go. And maybe we'd go down to Isaac. And... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it follows. It, it's always his, their 
they reference him as their God. That's right. So by the time you get to this point, historically, they are now trying to figure out, okay, so this is for all of us. Yeah. And how do we do that? And there's so some it's, it's, But it is exclusive. I, I don't want to, I don't want to walk away from your comment, Robert. I, there, there is an exclusive group of people that get to do this and there's, and, and, and it's not inclusive for everyone. Like you can't walk into the temple. You and I would not be able to walk into the temple. There's no way. It was, it was, it was like, and it's fascinating because it liturgically they still follow that today. So how would, and I'm speaking of the time there, but how would women and or children, since they're not recognized, they wouldn't be able to bring any offerings. No. Oh no, huh? I mean, had to be adult males. That's right. Without you, defect. Yeah. If you had a defect, you couldn't go in. Right. She's absolutely right. How much that includes, I don't know. But. So the so one one of the way that <laughs> so they're just half. <laughs> he talks funny. He's not only out. not only could you only give animals that were perfect, but you yourself had to be physically least, perfect at least right. to walk that's in the surface and mentally to to some extent if, right. you, were, if you were out and out crazy yeah, obviously it, that would be a defect right well they were go in. yeah we threw them out in the wilderness uh, yes this is a this is a it's fascinating to me as you all can see this conversation goes all over the place so kind of timeline between uh, abraham and moses between abraham and when this is being written is 400, oh. 500,000 years. I mean, they if tried to give us an idea. 400, 400 years after Joseph, 400. right? Because they're in, they're in Egypt for 400 years after Joseph. Okay. But between Moses, between Abraham and Joseph, uh, okay. Three, four. Yeah, I think I think the five. last time I saw it, someone tried to date it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And the 12 sons, including Joseph. Really given dates. Right Unless I left somebody, that's four generations. Yeah, I, I can't go back that far. I was just getting ready to say that. Yeah, I mean, like they, they basically say, like this, I love this one because it, it's pretty, pretty good. I mean, their details are awesome, but the uh, it's got a picture of it all and stuff. But um, <laughs> the, the dates here, the ancient Egypt at that time, probably 2800 to 2250 BC. So like that's and this so that's was supposedly written five or six hundred BC. Right. Right. So twenty-eight to five. That's a long it's time. A long time. Which is why you can tell there's so much. Twenty three hundred years. So that's the time between Abraham and Joseph. Four generations, unless I left somebody out. No, I saw Jacob. They lived a long time though. Jacob was Israel and there were twelve. And we don't including know Joseph. Was. Yeah. But I was gonna so say, I said, we don't know what a year was. They were all no, we had no idea what a year was, right? I've and often figured they might have used a, a month, but I, I don't know. Even yeah, then, you get into hundreds of thousands of years. So. I mean, they right. did kind of go by the moons, I mean, yeah, for, for, for season, things, yeah. But how long did that season last? We don't know. I was just kind of wondering, just I mean, we it was a long time, it was a long time. They could have forgotten and made up all kinds of things in between there, so that's the reason that we've started developing a place of worship yes because of the time mm -hmm. i meant to me mm -hmm. i'm like okay i'm tired of walking around in this desert all the time Nobody even mentioned pews in our sanctuary conversation. Well, yeah. I was thinking pews versus chairs. And we have padded pews. Yeah, like that's I, right. Yeah. I grew up with wood. Well, I did too. I, I think we had wood when we built this thing. I it was see. wood. Wood back. Well, I, oh, there's no wood. way today. Yeah, we got married to wood unless we're still there. Really? Yeah, in the 70s. Mm. The wood was in the in the little room, the uh, chapel. Chapel. Mm -hmm. We're all wood. And the little pads. The yeah, green pads. Yeah. Pads on them, but, but at Zion Lutheran Church, we didn't have the pads. <laughs> we had hardwood pews. Well, these were hardwood when it was built. Yeah. So this is a transition from, I mean, we're going to get to the cities, but that's 
Yeah. There's several things that happen before they build a permanent temple. Right. Well, it's, and it's going to be centuries before they build a permanent temple. I mean, the, the part that I, I really want you all to, to kind of focus in on this conversation is for, for all of us, one of the things that's the most important thing that we tend to forget is there's a reason that we do things that we might not do a very good job of communicating. We assume just like these folks do that you all know what this means, like what, what, what the communion table means. Why does it say in remembrance of me? Why, why, why pews, not chairs? Why, you know, pews and chairs, it's just really logistics. But there's, there's some other things that we do. Our stained glass windows, the stained glass window in the front, the crosses. The we cameras. didn't have stained glass windows when it was built either. Right. You could open, and we didn't have air conditioning and we didn't have lounge. Uh, and we have sound system, no. so the, the acoustics were fine. You could hear yeah, to the back. And and and, the, and the, just out of curiosity, was the floor concrete or was the was there? You know, I don't know. I was only sort of... twelve when it was built, and I wasn't checking on the floor. But, <laughs> the, the, In the your most... diary, it doesn't mention that. No, <laughs> I didn't keep that. One either. of the things that's fascinating <laughs> is that all of a sudden, around the forties and fifties churches started to carpet their buildings and then that became the necessity to have sound equipment because uh, the buildings were sound. always built to acoustically, acoustically okay. to speak yep. so that you you could hear it from the back what the person's saying from the front maybe not a deaf person but yeah with ordinary That's why the pulpits are where they're at and the choirs were where they were at. always elevated yeah uh, so, i mean it's it's a fascinating conversation well, and you talk about things i mean the fact that when the red rock christian church Collapsed. <laughs> collapsed. You know, the one thing they brought down here was that stained glass window. Was the, was the one stained glass window. Yep. I don't know what else was up there in that church, but uh, but that's the thing that was most important to keep. Everything You're else was pretty well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, but, then I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. Okay.